Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I am Tyler. With me, as always, is Smitty. Uh, I just thought of something while that was playing. Is that copyrighted? We don't know. Um, That's but, why I'm using the instrumental. Okay, okay. Okay. Are you allowed to do that? Is that a thing? You're you're the YouTube guy, so I don't know if that works. You know what? In my head, it was. In my head, we're allowed to use it, so that's we're gonna find <laughs> yeah, out. I guess we'll find out in week one. If of using if, that if not, yeah. Though. If not, then that, that will obviously have to be cut out, and yeah. it will start at a very odd point, and then you're gonna wondering be wondering what this conversation is about. We have the instrumental uh, to "We Found Love" by Rihanna and Calvin Harris um, playing now for with an intro with some pictures of past interviews that we've done and then the two of us at the senior bowl so giving you a little bit of visual representation for yeah. those on the audio you well. saw that and yeah. if, Hopefully. You, if you're not on youtube you heard the new intro uh <laughs> you'll be in for a surprise when you hit play uh yeah. anyway this is around the 412 um just wanted to talk about a couple of GoFundMe's like we typically do beforehand. Uh, the one Isla Keen's future fund, we've been pushing this for several months now. You probably have heard all about it from us, but we just want to keep pushing it so people can hear about it. It's uh, for Isla Keen, who is the daughter of Dalton Keen, who sadly passed away last fall, but we want to try to help alleviate that financial burden um, that will come on her and the family uh, from leaving behind a two-year-old in, in a tragedy like that. And so we, we continually uh, put the oh, holy crap, put the link. I'm, my, I had a brain fart. Holy cow. I had a, we continue <laughs> to the put the link. Kind of got you. Yeah, it really threw me off. Um, we, we put the link in the show uh, on all listening platforms and on YouTube as well. Um, another GoFundMe. So we mentioned last week uh, an update, but we're continuing to put this one as well. Um, so it is the Lil Masters family. Uh, GoFundMe and it is for uh, Amy Lamasters who had stage four breast cancer. I Correct. I don't want to say that wrong. Okay, she had stage four cancer, breast cancer. We gave an update um, because we had been pushing this sh- for a couple of episodes, um, but she did sadly pass away. Um, and while we cannot make up for a lost mother, we can also, but we can try to make up for some of the financial burden that came with what cancer can cause. So we're going to continue continuously put that in the description of our shows as well on all listening platforms and YouTube. And I'll let Smitty talk about the Dalton King golf outing because I'm just kind of mumbling and I'm really thrown off by our <laughs> new intro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kaylee actually just sent me the flyer um, yesterday. So very fresh. Um, but yeah, the first uh, Dalton Keene Memorial Golf Outing will be held at Blackhawk Golf Course, uh, which in, is in Beaver Falls, PA, considered Beaver Falls, PA, on uh, Saturday, May 13th, 2023. Going to start at 2 p.m. It's $100 per player registration. Also, there are limited slots, so hurry up and get in on the action if you would like to participate in this. And in that, uh, dinner and beverages will be included with that. So you know, for a hundred bucks, you're coming out, you're supporting a great cause, you're golfing, you're drinking, you're eating. It's all included in one price. So uh, if you would like to be a part of that, get in touch with me. We're also going to have a ton of great prizes there. We're providing some of those prizes, um, stuff that was supposed to be for Rock Around the 412. That's not going to be for this. So another great cause uh, and all, dang it, what is it called? I, I've said it so many times. Uh, the Caring Place, I'm sorry, in Pittsburgh is where the proceeds are going to be going. So, um, again, if you would like to get involved, if you just want to come and hang out, if you want to golf, regardless of what you want to do, uh, get in touch with me uh, at Zachary Smith PGH. Obviously, if you're listening or watching the show, you probably know my Twitter handle at this point. But, um, yeah, get in touch with me and I will get you that information and we will get you signed up. Sounds great. All right. Uh, now for the sports-related part of the show, about five minutes in. Uh, let's start out talking about the Pirates, which I know that we really don't want to do, but uh, they are in spring training right now and about three weeks out from the regular season. I'm not going to lie, though. So I just I literally just said that, and then I'm going to immediately contradict myself. I always do get excited like when baseball season starts. It's normally about like that August, September, that as a Pirates fan, you just like want the season to be over at that point. Hopefully that's not the case this season. But going into the season, I think there's a little bit more optimism. They did add to the major league club. Obviously, Andrew McCutcheon is back. Uh, there's some things to build off of, like a full season of O'Neill Cruz this year. Uh, Mitch Keller kind of turned it around last season. You hope he continues to build off that. Um, so, yeah, about three weeks and change away from the regular season kicking off here. I want to start with Mitch Keller, though, obviously with what he showed at the towards the end of last, really the second half of last season, um, and the way that he's looked so far this spring, 
Um, you know, I'm not going to all of a sudden, like, I don't like to think that every team has an ace, like, okay, every team obviously has a guy at the top of the rotation, but I don't think every team has an ace. Do you think that Mitch Keller is like the, just because the pirates have to have a guy at the top of the rotation, I'm not going to call him an ace. Like I just said, but do you think the top of the pirates rotation, like he is their best pitcher going into 2023 and does he need to be? Yeah, I mean, you finally saw the consistency last season from Keller, which is something Pirates fan has been, fans have been dying for because it's been so up and down with this guy ever since he made his uh-huh. debut in the majors. Um, so you got that consistency, carrying it over into this season. Just by default, he's going to be their number one pitcher. Um, That's the word I was looking for. Because of that. Yeah, by default. There's no other guy to really surpass him, at least that's at the major league level right now. So I, I like you said, you wouldn't call him an ace. Ideally, Mitch Keller is probably a really good like pitcher number three or pitcher number two, and you'd ha- you would have another ace on the on the mm-hmm. uh, rotation. But right now, he is your number one pitcher, and you need him to be because I, I mean we kind of saw last year the flaws that the rotation had in in the starting pitching. We we thought that okay, as long as it's adequate, um, maybe the bullpen can make up for it, and the offense should be okay. Turned out it wasn't. And the bullpen turned out to be way worse than we thought it was going to be. And the rotation was probably what we thought the rotation was going to be. Um, just the rest of the team was way worse than we thought it was going to be. So I, I think as long as uh, he continues to stay put, he's going to be the number one pitcher until they bring somebody in either from like triple A or if they make another move elsewhere for another pitcher. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people and he's looked good when he's gotten the opportunity to pitch this spring talking about like everybody's saying that it would be you know a disservice to Andy Rodriguez to have him start out in the minors I think we need to be having that conversation about Burroughs our guy who well you haven't had the He's opportunity the one to I talk mentioned to him yet week. but yeah but yeah like there's been some talk about the way that he looks he has very limited time in AAA but the one thing that I will say I saw uh Gary Morgan who you know friend friend of the show he's been on here a couple times we've also you know done some cross stuff with those guys the Pirates fan forum um him talking about Burroughs, the work that this guy puts in in the offseason, he always seems to get better regardless of which level he's at through the offseason. Whatever this guy does in the offseason, it works. Like the way that he is pitching this spring, he looks even better than he did that limited time in AAA. And obviously he was dominating AA last year before getting moved up. So I, I think Burroughs needs to kind of be in that conversation as to which guy is going to make their debut first out of the guys that haven't yet. Um, and yeah, to to your point yeah last week when we were talking about guys that you know could be that guy you mentioned mike burrows and um that would just be awesome to see because he's, he's an awesome guy um but yeah that will be something to see but to, uh another thing that i wanted to bring up i agree with you um about keller but another guy that has looked really good found that fountain of youth rich hill dick mountain still going strong at his age <laughs> Uh, yeah i mean and and this is someone that i i think it's good for what is i mean well it got a little bit older with some of the off-season acquisitions uh to to be honest Mm -hmm. like g-man Choi bringing kutch back they do have a more veteran presence presence that i think was needed just because the team is very young and you you kind of need those veteran veteran guys to bring a uh like attitude that you want to have in a locker room to get you yeah. where you want to be. And I, I think that if a 42-year-old pitcher can find some youth in that and, and pitch well for the Pirates, but, then that's a gr- that's great. Yeah, but think about that too. It's like it's almost building what they – because in the rotation they don't have that guy. Like they yeah. have that in position players with Santana, with G-Man Choi, with Kutch. But within that rotation, you lost that at last year's trade deadline when you moved Jose Quintana. So now you have Rich Hill who's been there, who's done that. And it's it's got to be like so interesting for him because that culture is probably just so different from when, like, look at the time that he came in to the majors oh, to where it's at now, the personalities that guys have. What a blend of different personalities that they're going to have within that rotation. But that's what baseball is, and it's going to bring these guys together. Like, you talked about Rowanzi, Rich Hill, Mitch Keller. Vince Velasquez, who, who we've talked about a lot, like I, ideally for me, I said he'd be like a swing man. He looked really good against the Orioles in his spring training um, start. If you were watching or listening to this on the ninth, this was on the eighth that he pitched against the Orioles. And then that leaves Brubaker, who you just he's almost like the frustrations that we were talking about with Keller. 
I feel like he's that, but not even a start to start basis. It's like within a start, you see it happen. Like really good first time through second time through. It's like, okay. Then you can start to see him wear down in the back end. Third time through is a disaster. That's why you almost wonder like this guy probably shouldn't be a traditional starter. He should either be in the bullpen or being used with an opener. Yeah. yeah I was going to say he, he would probably work out really well in Tampa Bay as an opener, opener <laughs> because they like to do that. Um, yeah, he, he's one that you can literally see just through the duration of the game, like him start to break down and it's pretty consistent between his starts as well. Um, yeah, that the starting pitching room is going to be really interesting to watch. And I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking of a guy that I could relate to Rich Hill this season and the guy that kept coming to my mind. And now this is not going to be necessarily pitching style or personality or anything, but it's just someone that like, uh, where am I going? Are you just saying Dave Burnett? Yeah, he's yeah. he's who I think of just because <laughs> he was for. And I'm not, I'm not saying like the Pirates are going to make the postseason and go on a run yeah, with like right. Rich Hill leading a pitching room, but I'm just thinking of like a veteran presence for a relatively young rotation, um, and is a good arm himself. I I, I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities to those situations. Now I, I would love for Rich Hill to uh to lead us into the postseason, of course, but. That's just the name that came to my mind was like AJ Burnett, and crazy enough, AJ Burnett is only like three years older than Rich Hill, and Rich Hill's still in the <laughs> in the major. AJ Burnett, AJ Burnett made his first All Star game in the last season that he pitched. How wild is that for the Pirates? Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, he's also going to be throwing out the first pitch for the home opener to Russell Martin, which is going to be an awesome moment too. Um, and then uh, the last thing to talk about with the Pirates, they didn't. Okay, so like in terms of pitching, like obviously we talked about these guys that they brought in. In terms of the bullpen, though, Yarling Darcy is really the one arm that they spent like money on for the major league level. Um, came over from the Giants, was relatively effective there. They finally got a lefty in the bullpen. They're saying he's going to miss like week to week. It sounds like multiple weeks here uh, with some elbow and forearm tightness, which is not good in terms of like what you typically see lead to now they say the UCL is intact right now, but when you hear that normally, like the first thing that is next is, Oh, this guy got a second opinion needs Tommy John, something like that. Yeah, I'm not like saying, Oh my goodness, like the season's over if they lose this guy, but like how many times did we say last year? Like they need a lefty out of the bullpen. There's We've nothing been saying there. that for several years, not, not just last. Year. Right. Yeah. So they get a, they have a lefty in the bullpen that's like supposed to be relatively effective. I'll be honest, don't know necessarily know a whole lot about this guy. When they signed him, I had to look him up, but I was like, oh, like this this is, seems actually like a decent signing, and people were relatively on board with it. So yeah, this would be a relatively big loss for the bullpen if if he's going to miss significant time here. So we will see how it plays out, but really nothing to go based off of other than that. It, all we know is that as of right now, at least the UCL is still intact. Well. That's good. I can't wait till it's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's again when you <laughs> see that like that forearm tightness stuff and dealing with the elbow for pitchers, especially with like how common Tommy John is now. Like everybody seems to have it at least once if you're a pitcher. Well, I, I mean, obviously it's a, it's still a big injury, but I I feel like getting Tommy John is kind of like in other, like in football, like kind of like tearing your ACL. Like, yeah, obviously it sucks mm-hmm. and it ruins your season, but it's not necessarily as big a deal as, as it was beforehand. And you recover from it like way faster than you would have beforehand. Some so obviously I don't want him to have too. Tommy John, but at the end of the day, like if it happens then like this, it's not, it's not like it's unheard of anymore. Right. Um, all right, switching gears to talk about the Steelers. Actually, there's not a whole lot to talk about here. Uh, last week when we had been talking about the Steelers, the combine was still going on. That's obviously now wrapped up. Some interesting stuff there, like if you are one that monitors um, like who teams are meeting with and stuff like that. Now, I will say like every team is basically going to talk to every player. However, in terms of formal meetings, there are a number that you are allowed to have so that it probably is something to keep track of. If a team is going to use a formal interview on a player, there's got to be some level of interest there. So that is probably something to keep track of. Um, Alex Kazora at Steelers Depot does a great job of doing that. Um, I don't know anybody that's necessarily like doing that to that same level where it's like literally every single player that he knows formally met with the Steelers, it's, it, it's there. The information is there. Um, so he does a great job of tracking that. 
I do want to say some stuff that I had like kind of been connecting dots with just based off who the players that they were watching. Also the way that they were talking about guys. And then some people that I've had conversations with after just to like, try to confirm what I was hearing. Also a text message that I got from somebody. I feel very confident in saying this right now. The Steelers are not going offensive line and not just not offensive line. They aren't going offense at pick 17. It will 100% be a player on the defensive side of the football. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually happy. I'm really happy. And here's why I say this. Um, again, you know, somebody that I've had conversations, by the way, they haven't really been doing a ton in terms of their homework with like what you consider those top three tackles. Their interest seems to be more about the interior. Now, I could 100% see them spending like pick 32 on a guard or center. That is very possible. And I'm throwing center out there, not because I don't like Mason Cole, but him and this guy could, you know, whether which one plays center, which one plays guard really doesn't matter. What matters is Kevin Dotson is not going to be a starter on the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. That to me is the guy that you are going to see not in the starting lineup next year out of that offensive line. Mike Tomlin, as much as we may not, as much as the national media may not care for these guys, as bad as their PFF grades may show, Mike Tomlin likes, likes his two tackles. Dan Moore Jr. and Chu Takora for. He is 100% comfortable with those being the starting tackles in 2023. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't hate our tackles. Like, they could be worse. There's other teams in the NFL. They could be worse. Chooks, I mean, he's very mediocre, but we know what he is. Decent in the run game. Not not great in, in pass blocking, but you know what you're going to get from him. It's fine. Dan Moore Jr., I feel like like I would have liked to have seen a uh, bigger step in his second year last year. But at times, I thought he looked okay. Um, especially I thought he was very season. good. Like, yeah, I was just say like the last quarter of the season, yeah. especially. Yeah. So I, I obviously, like, there was improvements, but I would have liked to see more improvements overall. Mm-hmm. But I think that if if Tomlin is set in his ways, that like that's our tackles. I just look at it like, sure. Obviously, I would like to add like a Broderick Jones if I could. Um, but I think the Steelers could do way worse. At, at tackle than what they currently have right now. Yeah. I guess my issue is the lack of competition being brought in with media. Like, I, cause I agree with you. They're probably like baseline starters right around that spot. But why is that like the benchmark? Like we should, at the very least, you should be bringing in competition to, to compete with these guys to see if they can win the job over them. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's where, like, to me, Andy Weidel is really going to come in to play here because if what I've, if what I'm hearing is true, and I feel very good about this based off, I didn't listen to okay, a message. Rappaport. I feel like I'm Big Cat. I'm part of my take, and you're Rappaport. Uh, <laughs> hey, if we're going to talk about the draft, I guess Mid Kuiper could make an appearance here in a little bit. But okay. uh, it, getting back to this, though, like, I didn't listen to a text that I saw from the same person last year where literally they said Kenny Pickett is the only quarterback the Steelers would consider in round one. If he is there at 20, that's who the pick will be. Don't even need to think about anybody else. Didn't listen to it. 100% was on board with Malik Willis. Thought that was a smoke screen. That person didn't know what they were talking about. All these other things. That same message, they also said the Steelers were going to draft two receivers. Didn't listen to that either. Are you kidding me? Why would we be drafting two receivers, let alone within the first four picks? But they double dipped. And, you know, we'll see how Calvin Austin plays out. But um, so to go back to last year and think about that message from them, I have every reason to believe them this year. If I go down with them, I go down with them. But I feel pretty confident that the pick is going to be on defense at 17. And I feel confident in saying this, and this is going to shock you and people watching or listening to this. It won't be Joey Porter Jr. even if he's on the board. I don't think that necessarily shocks me. They uh, they value the one thing that he doesn't have, which is turnovers. Now he had like eleven pass deflections, 
which, you know, maybe you could say that's unlucky on his part and they translate the turnovers. But the Steelers want ball production from their corners. I mean, led the league in interceptions last year. That's something that Terrell Austin has really prioritized. Joey Porter Jr. is not as high on the Steelers' radar as I think a lot of people believe because of the bloodlines, the type of football that he plays in terms of supporting the run game, the physical nature in which he plays with. I, I very much think, you know, Devin Witherspoon is more up their alley. Should he be there? I think a guy like Cam Smith is more up their alley. And a guy that has six interceptions in each of the last two seasons, despite being a little bit lighter, I think a big name to watch is Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State because of the ball production. At 17? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think they could 100%. They could take Deontay Banks at 17, and people would be like, are you serious? They like him. Yeah, but they he like had a good lot. combine, though. Yeah. And yeah. that also Yeah, Forbes, Forbes was lighter and shorter than, like, what he was listed at, which is, you know, often the case. But, yeah, he's not – he's 168, I think, he came in at, something like that. So he's, yeah, yeah very light. He's going to have to put on weight. But, again, you know, I think that the Steelers probably would just say – Listen, we did him in an NFL strength and training program. We'll worry about that part. He has what we covet in corners. Yeah. So the the pick being defense doesn't shock me at all. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is because I don't know how much like like and you you kind of said this too. I don't know how much homework that the Steelers were doing on the top tackles anyway. They're probably looking at it like if we're taking a tattle, tackle, some those those guys aren't going to be at seventeen by then. And mm-hmm. so at that point. The only other position on offense, if it's not going to be a tackle, to me, would be wide receiver. And I I refuse to think that the Steelers would ever pick wide receiver in the first round. It's not going to happen. Got a little I, I, note on uh, one of the wide receivers as well. I'm, I'm assuming it's Addison. but not, Yep, yep. The team does not, not on their radar. See, like, I, I, I just, I, I'm not surprised by that. I know mm-hmm. a lot of Steelers fans may be, but... I just don't think that they're going to value a wide receiver enough to take them in the first round, especially because you already have, yeah. I mean, you have Deontay, you have Pickens. I, I don't think you're, you're needing that much stock into a receiver that early when you, you could get elsewhere. And it would Addison's be, it would be JSN. Team. Anyway, if they were taking a, a slot receiver at 17, it's, it's Smith and Jigba. They, they, they like him a lot more. Yeah. But I, so, I don't think that they do it. So, well, and, and Addison is also – listen, I like Addison, but at the Combine, we're talking about coming up light too. He only weighed 171 pounds. His arms were short. Yeah. What's weird is uh, one of the sites had him listed at six foot 185 or something like that. I was like, what? So when I saw his him come in at the Combine, I was – yeah. I mean, yeah. I understand that guys are probably going to be listed taller and heavier. That, mm-hmm. I mean, unless they want to be lighter, like an offensive lineman, you're talking about trying to be a better athlete. But typically, like for a position like that, yeah, you know they're going to do be yeah. good. And uh, yeah, not so not a strong showing for him at the combine either. Listen, there, I'm not saying that the combine there's no stock that needs to be put into it, but I mean the, the tape doesn't lie. The tape is going to tell you what you need to know about these players for the most part. I don't think based off the combine that all of a sudden. Jordan Addison can't play football, but that the Steelers aren't making that determination either. There's something about him that they're not coveting as highly as Steeler fans are in terms of trying to reunite him with Kenny Pickett. They said the, he the went names, to US. He he he, he flipped. He went to USC. We don't want him. Our boy Kenny stuck with you know, Pitt someone all someone those actually, years. And we're going to actually mention someone actually mentioned this to me. Do I think that Tomlin would like? put stock in, or not just Tomlin, but the Steelers organization would put stock into something like that, a player leaving like that. I think they would. We're talking about the Steelers here. I feel like the Steelers are more personal and more sentimental towards some of the guys that they sign than, than uh, a lot of teams in the NFL. I, I, I think mm. they would definitely at least think about it. Um, But can I tell just, you uh, just... some of the, the names at receiver that were uh, thrown my way? Sure. Uh, Michael Wilson out of Stanford, who I actually really like. Not a lot of production. He had in- injuries both of the last two seasons. But, um, you know, in terms of if everybody in this class hits their ceiling, 
He's one of the top five guys, in my opinion. That might be a ridiculous statement. I also really like Cedric Tillman, who's not like ranked very highly by a lot of people. Uh, Jonathan Mingo out of Ole Miss and Rakeem Jarrett out of Maryland. Also, also even before that, uh, Josh Downs out of UNC was thrown my way as well. Who yeah, I'm a huge fan of. I love Josh. Why, why can't the Steelers ever throw me a bone and, and draft somebody I want in Puka Nakua? I, I mean, he could make sense as a later round dart throw. Like if they can, if they totally like punt on the position till later. Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, punting on the position, that actually brings me back to what I was just going to say about Addison. Like personally for me, like I wouldn't touch Addison at 17 especially because obviously I don't see the board in front of me, but I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of good athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And I mean, hell even at tackle, if I was the GM, like I feel like there's going to be a lot of good athletes there, but at 32, if he was there, I would consider it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but depending on what's available, I'd I'd think about it at least. I just don't think that then that's why ultimately what I'm getting back to is what I was talking about earlier that's why it doesn't shock me that they're going to go defensive side of the ball just because mm-hmm. the only two positions make no sense. The only two positions that would make sense don't make sense in that sense. So I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I have, if I were putting together a short list of who that pick was going to be at 17 right now, uh, two thirds of it are Clemson players. I think if, Brian he, if he's there, if he's there, Brian Brzee's definitely in play. Trenton Simpson is the other one, linebacker, and then Emmanuel Forbes. Because I think, I'm not saying Devin Witherspoon, because I think he's long gone. If he's on the board, I think he's the pick. Yeah, but we're also, I mean, Devin Witherspoon will go top 10 and not shock anybody. Right. He's going to, what what needs to happen there is the Lions to either trade out of pick six or take Christian Gonzalez, or not even take Christian Gonzalez, let corners continue to fall. I think Christian Gonzalez is going to be the first domino to fall. Wherever he goes is probably going to determine how long we could see Witherspoon wait. Here's another one that I I actually would really like. Um, and this is, you know I really like it because of who I'm about to talk about and who my allegiances lie with. So if they go Ooh. like Brian Brissee at 17, at 32, yeah. I would love Clark Phillips. I He's nasty. Like, I love Clark Phillips. I mean, and that the, listen, that's coming from the biggest BYU fan ever. Hate the University of Utah, but Clark Phillips is so good. And so yeah, if, he might, uh... if they pass on corner at 17 and he's there at 32, I would take a serious look at, I mean, there's other guys too, like Clark Phillips. It could be in that range. Emmanuel Forbes could technically still be that range with yeah. Deontay Banks. Like there's a couple corners around there, but mm-hmm. he's one that I would love to look at. Yeah. He, uh, he has the short arms, which, but he's played on the outside too. Like, I think there's some concern that he's probably going to strictly be a slot. I don't even care about that at this point. Like, teams have a receiver in the slot basically every snap now in the NFL. Like, you need a very good player to be your nickel corner. That's a starting position now in the NFL. So, even if that yeah. is the case, even if he is like a Mike Hilton 2.0, which I actually kind of see a lot of Mike Hilton in him. I think this guy definitely belongs in the AFC North. If it's not this on the Steelers, I hope that, that he's not in the AFC North, but I'm just saying he plays football like he's an AFC North guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I absolutely love him. I thought he had a good combine too. Um, but it, it, yeah, at, the, at that, I agree with the players you said too at 17. Like if Brian Brissett is there, I would love him. Um, yeah. I mean, defensive line is one of the positions that the Steelers, I feel like, eagerly need to rejuvenate um just because of the like um cam hayward not getting any younger and you don't really have a lot of depth tyson alalu's gone um so you you, you kind of need to build, build that up more than than you have right now and so he he would be a great one um you know and, and another guy on the defensive line like flip-flop if they take corner at pick 32 siaki ika i would love that Another Utah boy too, and he's not from. He didn't go to Utah, but he's from Utah. He went to East High School in Salt Lake City. Went to Baylor though. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like him as well. I mean, there, there's several guys I like, and that's that's what sucks about the draft for me every year, is because I'm going to see 
see guys I like not come to the Steelers. And obviously they can only take one, but then there's still going to be guys that I like that I still want and realistically not going to happen. Yeah, you're just hoping they don't go to teams that you hate at that point. Like, don't come in the division. What what's the Ravens are, they always do it. You know, they kill the draft every single year. There's, you know, multiple clips of you throwing your headset and walking away last season, that last year's draft with Jake and Nate. So, <laughs> listen, um, it, it, yeah. it, it's annoying how good they draft. But I am I am yeah, so I mean, happy. Speaking of the Ravens, just let's talk about that for a second. I am so happy about their court, current quarterback situation. I am I, I am thrilled about their current quarterback situation. The NFL is in a really weird place. I think it's it's smart on the Ravens' part to like put that franchise tag on them. I think they're letting other teams negotiate for them. Exactly. I, I don't think that there's a chance he goes anywhere else. Exactly. Um, but <laughs> he has till week ten to sign that thing, so he can negotiate with teams up until week ten. And, mm-hmm. and so he, this could be good in a way for the Ravens, but it could also screw the Ravens this upcoming season. And I'm all here yeah. for it. And they're, you know, this is happening now, but oh, what the heck? But but it's really going to be when you know Burrow's looking for his extension, when Herbert's looking for his new extension, like. What the Browns did with Deshaun Watson should have obviously not happened. The NFL owners would like for that to be a one-off. The players are going to force, like, want that to be the new norm. So yeah. like, something's got to give here. That's what Lamar is trying well, to do. And then you Why look is at this what guy? Danny Dimes yeah. is getting in New York. You look at what Gito got in Seattle. Like mm-hmm. the and these are guys that aren't this like uh, they're not a Joe Burrow they're not a Justin Herbert but they're still making this money so how are those guys going to expect anything less but definitely more? Well, there's no the problem is to me at least that middle tier quarterback is going extinct. You have rookie contract quarterbacks, you have guys making backup money, and then you have like elite money. No one is really handing out these like middle tier quarterback contracts anymore that were, you know, like in the 20-ish million dollar range. It just, they're going extinct. You know what really, you know what the first one that really killed that and, and kind of created the snowball effect was Kirk Cousins signing in Minnesota for that that huge He got it, 84 fully, fully, yeah. He got 84 yeah, that, and then, ever fully. since then, it's snowballed and gotten more and, and more as the season's Kirk have Cousins gone on. is maybe the best businessman in NFL history because the way that that was too, they never wanted him to see the end of it because they kept kicking the can down the road and they didn't want him to have like a gigantic cap hit in year one. So then he kept getting extensions on top of that original three-year 84 fully guaranteed deal. I mean, he's, yeah, he did incredible for himself. He played on the franchise tag one year in Washington too and cashed out for that one season. Like he's made so much money mm-hmm. in his NFL career. And he's good. He's good. But he's not, again, at that elite level where it's like, I think when we go back and look at career earnings among quarterbacks, we're going to be very surprised where Kirk Cousins finishes by the end of his career. I mean, so far, Taysom Hill has made more than Lamar Jackson. Just going back to Lamar Jackson. And get, yeah. let me, don't get me wrong. And Taysom Hill, another guy I love, BYU guy. But mm-hmm. there's no way he should be making more than Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's been in the year one season longer. But yeah. it, I, I, still... There's no way that he should be making more than Lamar. Crazy. Um, but yeah, again, to me, like, I didn't know how to take it at first, but like the more information that I see, the more opinions I see put out, uh, out and I'm less like, oh yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I really just think that the Ravens are like, listen, we're going to let other teams negotiate with you. As long as it's not like a fully guaranteed deal that you're going out and getting, we're going to match whatever it is anyway. We just don't want to do this negotiation song and dance anymore. That's where I'm kind of at with it. What the weird thing is, yeah, basically. What the weird thing is, is like the NFL, man, the owners, they're just, I mean, they're in each other's back pockets because it makes absolutely no sense. I've never seen it before. Literally every single team that you would think needs a quarterback going into 2023, within one hour of this coming out, it was put out that they weren't interested in Lamar Jackson and wouldn't be pursuing him. Like, give me one reason why the Atlanta Falcons, who were all in, rolled out the red carpet for Deshaun Watson last season, wouldn't even be interested in having a conversation with Lamar Jackson this year. Uh, because you have Desmond Ritter? I don't, I, <laughs> that, I'm, I'm just thinking of what their reasoning would be. <clears throat> we put, I, a, I we put draft stock into Desmond Ritter last year. We don't want to ruin it yet. 
whatever team, like whatever team, but well, it looks like if if Rogers did keep playing football, it's likely to be with the Jets. But okay, so where does that leave the Raiders? Why in the world would they not be interested in Lamar? The Carolina Panthers, Washington, what what are these teams doing? That's a very good question. But to me, this is just the NFL owners colluding together and uh, not wanting these fully guaranteed contracts to become a norm. They want Deshaun Watson to be a one-off. So that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Yeah. That The whole situation – by the way, I haven't heard uh, – what, what was the term they used? Uh, like if he if he signs another team, they get the two picks. It's a hockey term. It's used in hockey all the time. Um, why can't I think of it? Whenever whenever you like sign a player on another team to your own offer contract, sheet. and you have to get offer sheet, offer yeah. sheet. I had never heard offer sheet in, in like almost any other sport besides hockey because I feel like it's yeah. so uncommon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's there's uncommon only one in hockey, player. but at least there's like players that it happens to. Yeah, there's only one player in the NFL history that has switched teams <laughs> through this, through a non-exclusive tag, signed a deal, and the team didn't match. There's only one player in NFL history. Who Will Lamar it? be number two? Do you know who it was? Uh, Shefty put it out. Um, I think it was in like 1987 or something like that. Uh, Sean Gilbert, 19, oh, 1998. Hmm. Franchise tagged by Washington, signed an offer sheet with the Panthers, and played for the Panthers. So, that's well, there that. you go. Yeah. Um, all right, and finally, the final sport that we're going to talk about on here is hockey. The Pittsburgh Penguins coming off a two and one week since we last spoke, including overtime wins against the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Columbus Blue Jackets, and a loss to the Florida Panthers. Um. I don't know. I almost feel like we should work in reverse here just because, you know, the time of recording this, the game versus Columbus was last night. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe their worst period that they've had this season. I mean, they were down four nothing at one point early in the second. Um, absolute turnaround. I'm not saying like Tristan Jari was the only person to blame for the score being four nothing. Obviously, that everybody was very flat. Nobody looked good. But, you know, that sometimes that goalie switch just it, it sparks you. And Casey DeSmith came in. He held the fourth down. Everybody played pretty well in front of him from that point on. Penn score four in a row to send it to OT. And then who else? The captain, Sidney Crosby, with the OT winner. Um, the player, though, that I think stands out and literally needs to be talked about because he's just the consistent guy that shows up night in and night out. We've talked about this before, and I don't know how he didn't come up. We mentioned Crosby. We mentioned Raquel, the season he was having. We've talked about this guy, but not necessarily as a guy that's literally there every single night. Jason Zucker. I mean, you could even tell when he made this game 4-1, he was the only guy that was like, and obviously he's the goal scorer, like emphatic, celebrating, yeah. had energy going. Like even before that on the four check, like he had the energy last night, even when the rest of the team looked like they were going to have their feet stuck in the mud for 60 minutes. So Jason Zucker deserves a ton of credit. And it even makes me more mad about the Grandland trade because that's probably numero uno to look back on once the season ends as to why Jason Zucker is not going to be retained by the Penguins. Yeah, he he's a, or he's a UFA, excuse me, after this season. So his 5.5 comes off the books, but they're not going to have really much money to, to work with. But, I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. We love throwing around big contracts if, if – <laughs> Ron Hextall still the GM. We were looking at a six-year contract. I would assume that that was that was the the lingo last season. But yeah, yeah Jason Zucker has played really well um, this entire season. But especially these last couple of games, he really stuck out. Got some big goals. Um, it, and this is what we've been waiting for, honestly, for the, for Jason yeah. Zucker. Finally, I mean, having a pretty healthy season, not not really missing a lot of time on the season. And what we've been waiting for in the scoring department from Jason Zucker all the way back from whenever we made that trade for him. I mean, that was three years ago now, but it seems like forever ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm really happy for him. And he's one that it can actually like drive play, which is why, I mean, you, you can't. I'm happy that he's finally playing well with like Gino and them because it, it was like a question of like whether he even has chemistry. Is that the problem? 
but I'm happy to see him actually like put up some points, really drive the offense and play well and, and be a, a real key piece to this team and, and to these past couple wins too. I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's more skilled than I feel like a lot of people gave him credit for it. Um, and, and he really brings a lot of energy to the team whenever they lack it. It, it seems like even if the Penguins are losing and there's a lot of players on the team that just seem like if they're losing and they're losing big, they just kind of like get out of it. Um, like they're mm-hmm. not as, as uh, urgent to, to really get on the score sheet because they just kind of give up in a way. But Jason Zucker really never has that. I mean, even and not just this past these past games, but previous games throughout the season. I feel like there's plenty of examples that Jason Zucker still has that fire in him, even when the Pens are losing. So I I, I love him as a player. He's he's really fun to watch, and it's really ha- I'm really happy to have him have a fully healthy season because after last season, especially with all the time that he had, and even in games where he would come back from injury, it seemed like. He would get hurt like a period later on his in his first game back after missing like a month. It, it's it's been really it's really good to see him consistently be in the lineup and consistently produce the way he has. And like you said, it's a shame that probably because of the Grandley contract, he won't even be able to come back in some fashion next year. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Like, is is the team going to be interested in retaining him? Hopefully, we don't have the same GM. So it's like, how's this new guy going to feel about him? Who knows. I mean, if, if Fenway Sports Group finally, you know, goes on to the team page, realizes, oh, this guy's the GM of the team right now. Let's see how the team. Oh, doing. we own these uh, guys. Yeah. I mean, once they get wind of what's going on, I, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be the happiest with Ron Hextall. So it'll be interesting to see how that conversation goes. But anyway, get back on track here. Um, previous game, they lose against Florida flat for 40 of the 60 minutes, which we, which is weird because like, well, one, they really can't afford to have those types of performances, especially teams that are trailing them in the standings trying to catch up like Florida is. But they looked like crap in the first period. I thought had a pretty strong 20 in the second period and then nothing in the third. Like, so what happened in that middle frame? Why did you find something and then re-lose it again in the following 20? Um, just one of those games, I guess, hard to figure out. Another one where it's just like nobody really showed up. Uh, Latang scores the only goal, and that's on, I think it was a five-on-three power play. So, yeah, they absolutely did nothing really in that game for long stretches of time. The overtime win against Tampa, though. Um, one of their better performances, I thought, of the season, just all around, um, especially considering this one wasn't against Brian Elliott. It was Vasilevsky and net. What a goal by Drew O'Connor, uh, one of the better goals that we've seen from the team this season. And uh, also just like Tampa kept coming back. So it was nice to see the Penguins be able to be resilient and push back. Cause there's oftentimes it's like they score a goal. They give up a goal like a minute later. And then like, they just lose all confidence. Like they're so mm-hmm. fragile in this game. They would get a lead. Tampa would tie it, but the Penguins just kept staying on it. And they obviously end up winning who, who scored the overtime winner in that one. I forget. Um, it was Jason. No, Zucker, that, that, I didn't actually forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay i just wanted to come back and once again talk about jason zucker okay uh yeah i mean I'll, I'll start with a tampa game that that was a great game i mean honestly one of the best of the season there's several that, that you can say but just i remember watching that just because of recency bias like one of the best games of the season and for the reasonings that you were talking about the the way that the penguins were able to kind of stay in it whenever tampa would come back and tie the game um the the penguins have had a knack of just kind of getting out of the game once once some resistance starts and and so to be able to see that against that caliber of opponent too because remember that was my uh stanley cup pick (laughs) last year or the the, the earlier this year so Mm -hmm. i i i think that um it was really good a really good performance and one of their most complete games of the year that that's what the penguins can be um, on the flip side of that, and I'll just mention it just because we it was the next game, Florida, that that was an awful game. I mean, the, the, they had the second period, but let me tell you what I what I hate about the second period. So Latang cuts the lead two to one. Mm-hmm. but and and the penguins are they're fighting, they're going. The thing that kills me and kills me because it's happened several times this season, it feels like, is letting up a goal when there's like ten seconds left in a period. I just yep. feel like that that should not happen. And to me, it's that just minute. put like, yeah, it's a sourness in your mouth. We're going into the break. You had such a good period to break the lead to one. 
and finish the period strong, but instead they give up a goal. You go into the break with that sour taste in your mouth, and you come out flat-footed, and, and then the final score is 4-1 to one anyway. But I, I, I just feel like that, to me, is like the killer of the momentum that you were building in that period going into the break into the third period. That that's the reason I think they were probably so flat in the third period is because of that goal they gave up. And it, it's happened several times this year. Um, it, it feels like, and maybe that's just something I say every year during Penguin season. It feels like they always give up goals the last minute. Um, yeah. but that one was literally in like the last like 10 or 15 seconds. And it's so frustrating to watch them give up goals like that. I just feel like at, at the worst, just keep it out of your own zone. Just ice it if you need to at that point. That's better than giving up the goal. But, yeah, that, that overall was a pr- pretty bad performance um, outside of that, that second period. But overall, since the trade deadline happened, I mean, some interesting acquisitions that we're going to talk about, but also just they're playing, like, okay. Like, they, they're, they're playing pretty well so far yeah. since they made some moves on the team. Um, there's nothing really for, too much for me to complain about right now at, based off of the things that they did based off of the performance that they've, they've had since they made those moves. Um, so I guess let's just talk about the moves they made. Yeah. Uh, old friend, Nick Benino returning to the team from San Jose. Yeah, you you got to bring the, t- the, you got to bring the, uh, Twitter handle back the bones ego. <laughs> yeah. Bones ego. What a time that was during those top runs. That was maybe the most fun I've ever had on Twitter. Um, <laughs> But yeah, San Jose gets a fifth and seventh. Also, Montreal involved in the trade. So, like, Penguins only taking on 25% of the salary, uh, 50% retained by San Jose, 25 to Montreal. They did a draft pick for their trouble. Being the bro- like, it's funny, like, how these three team deals work. Basically, just like being a broker, like a middleman for these trades. Kind of yeah. funny when you think about it. Uh, yeah, so Nick Benino's back in the fold. A lot less uh, hair this time, like, completely yeah. bald and also shaven. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that one kind of is what it is. I think that he's probably a little bit better offensively than – well, not a little bit. He's he's When you look at what Bluger's done this year offensively, he's he's better than Bluger offensively and probably just a little bit of a slightly worse defensive player at this point in his career, but still blocks a ton of shots. I don't think he's a slouch by any means in his, in his own end. I think, that, like, the biggest thing is just age. You know, like you're getting older by acquiring this guy. It's going to be interesting to see how, like, when you have all the healthy forwards, how things shake out. Uh, and the other one was Dmitry Kulikov, kind of an odd thing here, but I get it regardless of, listen, I, I would rather have POJ in the lineup, don't get me wrong, but I still would have made this trade, even if it meant Kulikov not playing and just being depth, even just to get McGinn's contract off the books the next two seasons. So I have no yep. problems with this trade, regardless of how, it shakes out from a transaction standpoint. I just, I don't get the, why he would be playing over POJ. Like we can keep harping on it, but if there's a left-handed defenseman that should come out of the lineup, it, it's not POJ. I mean, we know which one it is. Yeah. Just say, it. just say. It. Uh, yeah. Brian Dumoulin, who <laughs> apparently isn't going to be on the top pairing anymore. At least if the practice lines are any indication from today, Pedersen and him switched. I'm not sure like what caused that, but We'll see if that translates into uh, tomorrow or tonight's game or yesterday's or some point down the line when you're listening to this weeks ago's game against the Islanders. Um, but, yeah, they made some switches there. I just when, – when you look at things like this guy, Kulikov, he's a UFA. I feel like you know what he is as a player. Like we're trying to develop POJ here. He's kind of been like a roller coaster in his own end at times, but he's had a really strong offensive season. He's really good at transitioning the puck, pushing it up the ice. Why are we stunting his growth for Dmitry Kulikov? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I just wanted you to say Brian Dumoulin. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, he, we didn't know he's, he's the one, but you know he's not going to come out. Um, but I would ideally like to have POJ up with Latang, keep Pedersen where he is with Petrie, and then have Kulikov with Jan Ruda. Obviously, that's not going to happen because Dumoulin insists on playing every game. But I, I think the trade is good, mainly for the reason you said. Getting getting yeah. Brock McGinn, friend of the show, by the way, uh, his contract. I mean, hey, off the listen, book. some things they just they don't work out. Wish him all the best yeah. in Anaheim if that is you know where he's able to to finish out this contract. Um, you know, he had times where it looked like he was going to be successful here. He's obviously a really good guy. It's nothing personal, but yeah, it just it didn't pan out the way that we thought it would in Pittsburgh. So. 
yeah, best of luck in Anaheim. Yeah. And then with, with Benino, I mean, obviously you get older, but luckily for the Penguins, uh, it's just for the season that he's on the books at the, the 1.25 because they covered mm-hmm. half of it or 1.025, I think. Um, but I, I think that it's a good acquisition. I mean, Bluger, I, I liked Bluger overall, but he had a rough season. Um, he, he wasn't, wasn't the really same adding. since he broke his jaw. Yeah, he wasn't really adding to that bottom six. And I think that Bluger or Benino, excuse me, while it's it's more or less a, a wash, um, like in terms of talent of player, like you were saying, like Benino is a little better offensively. Bluger might be a little better defensively. It might be a wash in terms of just like overall skill when you look at it outside of the players. But I think that bottom six just needed a new face. It, it, it needed some some new blood in there. And I, yeah. I think that Benito brings that. He's familiar with the team. He's familiar with the coach. I think it's a yeah, good that's acquisition. A, that's the thing, too. It's too. like maybe it's a little bit overrated, but Benino's won before. Like, Bluger hasn't been on a Penguins team that's won a playoff series. Maybe there's yeah. something to that. Benino knows how to win games in the playoffs. He always was better in the playoffs than the regular season. I mean, look at those cup runs. It's like Benino would have, what, like 20 regular season points and then have almost 20 points in the playoffs. Just he's, I'm, he's a player I'm really curious this right now. The, I but, was literally just throwing numbers against the wall there, by the way. I have no clue. <laughs> I'm really curious to this now. Um, so let's see. It, I'm just going to look at 16 and 17, um, okay. which, I mean, those are the only two teams, seasons he was with the Penguins anyway. So in, in 16 and 17, he had 29 points in 16 and 37 points in 17. And then in the postseason – Let's see. NHL playoffs. He had 18 points in 24 games in 20, uh, 2016 and seven points in 21 games in 2017. Not as high as I was going to say 16 was definitely the year that I was really. Yeah. I mean, that was like the prime HBK line. I think 17, he probably spent. I mean, the HBK line was still a thing, but I think he also played with like Eric Fair a little bit, maybe Kunakle at some point. Like, so. He had 11 less points in the postseason in 16 than he did the entire season of 16. Wow. He had 29 points in the in the regular season, 18 in the playoffs. Wait, no. Wasn't wasn't Eric Fair traded before? Well, he wasn't even on the 17 team, was he? Eric Fair wasn't on the 17 team. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. That goal that he scored against the Caps was in 16, where for some reason he was playing with Gino on the wing. Yeah, Eric Man, Fair and they, Ben Lovejoy were a couple it guys. It didn't matter what they would do at those times. Like, so, no matter what Sullivan did with the lineup, they could just throw it out there. They were holding teams to under 20 shots, and they were winning hockey games every single night. So, Yeah, but I think for this team, I, I think it's good to bring in some new blood in there because yeah. we kind of talked about it. The, the Penguins really were clamped at what they could do. Internally with the organization, there wasn't a ton that they could do um, to, to really switch Although, up the bottom six. Although we did get finally get a uh, Alex Nylander appearance, which and he looked good, long overdue, if you ask me. He he had been playing. And he ended really up playing well in the top six. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 that's where he should be playing, honestly, just based off of skill set. That's until it's not working. I think he should. You should try him out there. That's interesting because okay, say that that. I mean, he's probably going back down before tomorrow's game if Granlin and Rust are both to be. What's by the way, friend of the show, congrats, Papa Rust, second time. Logan was born. Uh, wasn't necessarily announced right away what the personal reason was, but yeah, had a son, Logan. Shout out to Brian. Um, but yeah, if him and Randler are both going to return to the lineup, I think we're going to be very upset tomorrow with a tweet that's going to come out from the Penguins about. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. They, they did that to themselves with the cap. So yeah, if, if it happens, it happens. But in the meantime, like say, Say they have the cap to keep him up for another game. Like I would love to see what happens if you put, um, just, just bump Russ down to the third line, com- completely honest, and then just have Nylander on the wing with uh, Gino and Zucker. I, I think it would be fun to experiment and see what you got there. Yeah, like he wasn't even. Uh, well, he was alternating with Jeff Carter during line rushes. So at practice today, you had Crosby centering Gensel and Raquel. Malkin centering Zucker and Rust, obviously. Granlin centering O'Connor and either Nylander or Carter. And then Benino centering Paling and Archibald. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's fun. Oh, it's and guy also Heinen, Heinen really was well. rotating with Paling. Because, yeah, Paling's not going to be coming back yet. So that's Heinen, really, that's going to be there instead of Paling. But I I don't think that uh, that we see Nylander play a second game quite yet. I think something. Although there's no cap in the there's no cap in the postseason, right? No. So bring him back. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, clearly, he. I'm not saying he's going to have the same effect, but you look at those 16, 17 teams we were just talking about. I think the best thing about them is they had a youth infusion down the stretch. Whether that was you know all together at one time, Connor Sherry, Brian Russ, Tom Kunako, all those guys coming up together, or in 17, Jake Gensel. Both years you had some of that. I'm not saying Nylander is going to be, you know, that type of impact, but he didn't look out of place by any means. And he randomly was like thralted into a top six spot, which wasn't expected because it was just working out. He looked really good playing with Zucker and Gino. Yeah, I I would love to see more of him just because he's someone that we had talked about the literally the entire season of you have these guys performing well in Wilkes-Barre and you just can't seem to figure it out and you're not, you're refusing to not bring them up and it's really annoying. Also, Alex Nylander per Danny Shirey. um, Who? He had, (laughs) who? At (laughs) 5v5 last night, he did not fail at either blue line once. He had four defensive zone exits, all with possession. He had eight offensive zone entries, three with them possession, and on ice at 5v5, two goals, zero goals against, 28 shot attempts, nine attempts against, and 79.2 expected goal share. Solid night on the ice. You know who else hasn't even been bad, though? We were just talking about, like, him. I'm not saying, like, this is justification for him continuing to play. Jeff Carter. I don't think he's been bad lately, either. Well, he's also not been playing center, either. <laughs> so maybe, yeah. maybe there's I mean, a correlation there. That's the thing. Just let him take the face off and then play the wing the rest of the shift. Yeah. Yeah, because he just can't do it with his legs anymore in, in, in the center. So have Granlin yeah. be there. Yep. We'll see how that goes. But um, what do we got down the stretch here? We got uh, before the next episode, we obviously got this game against the Islanders we've been talking about, which is very important. Um, and then you got a back-to-back this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Flyers, Rangers. <laughs> Oh, and yet then we got this we got the Rangers what three times next week or something like that. Like yeah. Sunday, so, Sunday, so we, Thursday, we, we Saturday. We play them on Sunday, yeah. Then we play them on Thursday and Saturday. So obviously we want to be talking about the Thursday and Saturday ones yet, but just saying that is coming up. Massive. Yeah. We'll be talking about all... the next four games because we have the Islanders tomorrow night or tonight, whenever you're listening to this. That'll be <laughs> Thursday. Uh, you have the Flyers on Saturday, the Rangers on Sunday, and then you have the Canadians on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we've kind of for some time now been resigned to the fact that, like, if the Penguins make the playoffs, it's probably going to be as a wild card. Like, that's all we're hoping for. Yeah. I mean, you know, say they end up <laughs> taking all these games against the Rangers, because each one of those games are four-point games. It's not out of their own possibility they could climb into that spot. It's not. It's not. Um I don't even remember where I had the Penguins finishing this season. Oh, I, I had them. You had them third in the division. I had them second. Well, are you sure? I thought it might have been flip-flopped. Maybe I did have them third. I don't no, know. You had, you had them third. I, I said second because I thought the Rangers – I had the Rangers second, and I thought they were going to take – or I had the Rangers third, Penguins second. You had the Rangers second, the Penguins third. I thought they would take a huge step back in terms of the special teams. And there's no way, like, just and Shesterkin hasn't been the same goaltender. He's not that he's been bad, but obviously he wasn't going to be that again. So I and I just, you know, I thought the Penguins superstars would carry them above the Rangers. I didn't foresee what the Devils are doing. That's the problem. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody did. Honestly, maybe some some. We both had Carolina number one, which I mean, that's (laughs) yeah. I mean, yeah, not much to say on that one. Right. Um, but I think that's it. So um, again, as mentioned at the beginning of the show, you guys will see some GoFundMes wherever you're watching or listening to this. If you feel so inclined, please get involved with those. They're for some really good causes. The Isla Keen Fund, as well as the LeMasters Family Fund, 
Also, uh, the first Dalton Keene golf fundraiser is going on. It sounds like they want this to be a yearly thing. So uh, if you want to get involved with that, reach out to me. It's going to be on May 13th, 2 p.m. at Blackhawk Golf Course. I will be there. I will not be golfing. So come hang out, even if you are not into golfing much as myself. If you want to maybe like just swing some clubs around, I can show you how good my swing is. But yeah, I won't be doing any actual golf. <laughs> or if you want me, I have a video of it. I can show you too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, if you're watching this, you've been seeing it the entire time. Scroll across the bottom, but please be sure to follow us on all our socials. That's at around the 412 on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're watching or listening to this. And uh, we can't thank you enough for doing so. We were actually just talking right before the show, trying to figure out a rough idea of how many episodes we did. Because I was just thinking, I thought it was crazy that uh, we started recording the summer that the Steelers drafted TJ Watt. So our first podcast was actually recorded before TJ Watt played his first game as a Steeler, which is crazy to think about now when you look at where he is in his career. Yeah. Yeah. That's how long we've been doing this show. Insane. That's a long time. <laughs> and we'll be back next week to do another one of these. So uh, until then, for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.